What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Good Anime Palette Podcast. This is episode number 41. I am your co-host, Jason, and I'm joined, as always, as usual, with William Wong over here. Wow, full name? Full okay. name. You're wearing the same glasses last time now, right? I know. I, okay. You see, I, I planned it. I Thank God you noticed. Thank yeah, God that's you what, noticed. Uh, before, like, when I hit the record button, I was like, wait a minute. Look at Jason's glasses. Make sure he's not wearing something different because he's going to pull that same bullshit again. And thankful that this time you just kept it consistent. So No, no. This is a different glasses than last time when we recorded. Was it? Yes. But this, okay. So you had the bamboo ones. You have this pair. And then I have the black ones. The ones that I wore last time. Last, last time. Yeah. So basically, season one... The stupid preamble was weather. I don't know what season two and season three would be, but now I guess season four, the p- stupid preamble is me with glasses. Hey, mate, you never know. Maybe next episode I wear glasses. I do wear glasses. Yeah. Never see you wear them. Though. I don't. I mean, I only wear them when I drive. So, and do I drive? No. So I never wear them. But okay, yeah. we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. As usual, uh, we will go into a bunch of new stories. Will and I have been reading and watching a bunch of stuff for our main discussion topic. And also, like, future episodes as well. So it's a bit difficult to add more stuff into the rotation when it comes to, you know, adding stuff for the reading watching lists. We we do like watching other anime. We're not just doing it for the sake of the podcast, but time is tough. Yeah, and I'm reading, like, random stuff here and there. So it's not like I'm completely abandoning uh, my child mangas. I mean, I, st- I mean, I told you I was going to be reading Akane Bashi, right? And I still haven't gotten around to reading it yet. So, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, what else am I going to do? I'm just going to try and at least get enough done for future episodes. That way I have enough free time to just read some manga because I do miss it. I do miss reading manga. But did you miss all these new anime adaptation announcements? So We're- in the last week, a bunch of adaptation announcements as well as sequel announcements have come out uh we're not going to go over every single one of them because uh spoiler alert half of them are uh isekais the other half of them you kind of already expected them to be renewed anyway but uh we did keep a few announcements uh in this news section because we well one we really like these animes and two um they're also well some of them have just come back out of nowhere and so we felt it was worthy talking about them anyway so our first news story is regarding Tower of God, which is probably one of the most famous webtoons like of like up there basically with like solo leveling, God of High School and so on and so forth. There was the first season that premiered as I think the first of the webtoon Crunchyroll original partnership and uh it is I think ranked on my anime list the highest of all of those webtoon adaptations, right? And uh, was it Noblesse or Noblesse, uh, God of High School, and uh, Tower of God. And they now announced a second season. So that's kind of good because uh, we watched uh, Tower of God season one. I didn't finish it, but it wasn't because um, it wasn't good. We just kind of moved on to other things. Do you, do you remember? Yeah, I think we, we essentially watched it for the purpose of doing that Crunchyroll episode. Do you remember which uh, number? No, I, I I never remember this shit, man. Epi- episode four, I think. Wow, was it that long ago? Yes, it was. So it was after the big three episode then? Yes. Okay, now I remember because it's easy to remember that one. Right, um, but the big three is number two. Was, well, okay. What was number three then? Uh, Number three was adaptation process. Okay, fair. I'm okay. not even looking. I, 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 you, just, you just know. I just know. You're savants of sorts, right? It's like eclectic memory. Beautiful mind kind of thing. That kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so Tower of God. 
I think is of all the Webtoon shows, the the easiest, most obvious choice to have a season renewal. Again, I have to you know simp again, but it's uh, it's hard to beat uh, an anime when you have Kevin Penkin Mr. Do the Penkin. music for it. Yeah. Um, so it was produced by Telecom Animation Films, which I don't really know much about, but uh, I would say the animation quality for the first season was rock solid. It was I, definitely rock solid, yeah. Score-wise, it's like a high, like mid to high sevens. Out of all the Webtoon adaptations, which includes Got a High School and Noblesse, um, yeah, Tower of God is probably the best one. So it's uh, no surprise that out of the three, Tower of God is the one that got a second season. So um, I... I, I kind of look forward to it but that also requires me to finish off first season which shouldn't be hard yeah, it shouldn't be hard so um i like tower of god for uh those i think half like half of the cur i think we watched like five six episodes it was really entertaining really good so um looking forward to see when that would be announced in terms of a f- confirmed uh release date yeah, so, yeah, no confirmation for release dates. Uh, they even confirm on Crunchyroll which studio is going to be doing it. Um, but, hey, for all you Tower of God fans, Webtoon fans, or any fans that you know, just want to watch some good anime, look forward to further announcements on Tower of God Season 2. All right, the second news story is in regarding a very well-known, um, what do you call it, like dungeon-crawling manga that has been really highly ranked and is called... Uh, Dungeon Meshi, or known as Delicious in Dungeon in English. Yep. So, uh, um, Jason brought this up to me before because I've always kind of enjoyed, like, food-based... Not really food-based, but, like, series that talk about food. And so, therefore, it's, like, in the end, I ended up checking out Food Wars. Really, really liked it. Um, I also watched um, Silver Spoon, which isn't really about food, but it's the process of getting food. So, I feel that if I ever got rounds of reading Dungeon Meshi, I would really enjoy it. Well, I guess I could wait a bit longer because Dungeon Meshi is getting adapted by... I had no idea why the studio picked it up. Studio Trigger. Yeah, of all things. So apparently, uh, Studio Trigger produced a 30-second animated commercial to promote the manga's eighth volume in September in 2019. So I guess there's pedigree there. Yeah. But it, it made sense in the end that they would be the ones who would go on to doing it. But I didn't even know that they did a commercial for it. Like, Delicious in Dungeon is one of those mangas that I would not think it was up Trigger Studio Trigger's alley. But at, at the same time, like, it's a very well-known manga. A lot of people like it. You should read it. Or just wait for the anime adaptation. Yeah. as uh, You know, it's licensed by Yen Press. And uh, in their sort of short description of the story... What do you get when you cross dungeon adventures in food manga? You get Delicious in Dungeon, where we find our troop of adventurers on a mission to save uh, their lost team member while figuring out how to survive on the food that the dungeon provides. If that's enough to lure you in, hey, just wait a couple months, wait for the adaptation to come out. If it's Trigger, I am 99% sure it's going to look awesome. So I'm looking forward to it. I do think they're going to play it straight, though. Like, not not like bombastic, kind of crazy, like, edge runner, kill a kill type vibe. Do you feel that this is one of those where, like, you might not see as many of the signature trigger kind of moves? I mean, like, they might have one or two. But because it's not, like, an original and it's not, like, a very kind of trigger-esque kind of property. Yeah, it's not very action-y. So it's like, let's cook some good food. So there you go. On to the uh, next adaptation. Now, this one has come out of nowhere, but uh, if you kind of keep track of its timeline release, then you would figure, yeah, no, it kind of makes sense that this one's getting uh, a a third season adaptation. We're talking about One Punch Man. 
So One Wait, Punch Man, yeah, one, what? Yeah, One Punch Man uh, aired its first season in 2015. Uh, at that time, it was done by Madhouse. Then in 2019, the second season, after a long, long wait, uh, was produced by JC Staff. And as much as the story is pretty good, as much as the character interactions are really good overall, because JC Staff's not really known to be doing like, not really known to be doing like really good. Like action animation. Well, like Railgun, I think is very good action. It basically they didn't spend a lot of money and time on it. Basically, is a, is my opinion. Yeah. So it got derided by a lot of people. I think it's just people. People just really, really enjoyed like that whole like super opiness of of season one, and therefore it wasn't as focused on season two. Um, but uh, yeah, four years again. So four years between season one, and season two, and then now between season two and season three, which I estimate is when. Season 3 will come out. One Punch Man Season 3 will come out. But uh, at this time, there has been no confirmation of release date, no confirmation of the studio. Uh, There is confirmation that the character designer that did Season 1 and Season 2 will be on set for Season 3. And I think that's... Yeah, that's the only consistency right now. I think that's a smart move because the blowback from Season 2 was palpable, I think. And it wasn't just like, hey, us... like quote-unquote hardcore or dedicated weaves that knows the in and the outs. It was literally everyone who loved season one, which is pretty much everyone in my opinion. Then they get to season two and they're just like, what the fuck is this? And I get it, but I still think, um, as Will, you said, like the story of like, I guess the quote-unquote villain of season two actually has a very interesting kind of thought process and perspective. And I think hearing from what people say when it kind of resolves itself to the to the end it's like a pretty good journey and generally it's still pretty well received right like the second season is like a mid sevens high sevens which if you compare it to like other like seven anime like it's actually still a good score it's just that when you're coming up against season one which was like incredibly hype it's it's only it's only down from there like unfortunately because of the studio change, because of the, the aesthetic change, it was always hard for season two to like amount to anything that season one produced. But hey, look, I'm I'm hopeful that season three will be good. And uh, for those who uh, are wondering, hey, does that mean that Madhouse has a chance of picking it up? Technically, yes, there is a possibility, but you have to understand um, the behind the scenes, which is for season one, the director of whom the name escapes me at the moment, he had to kind of like assemble his own team because of the dire straits that the studio was facing at the time or like just how uncooperative that process was so literally other than the director everyone else was kind of like a freelancer type thing so when the project was done season one was done they literally all went their separate ways i mean no hard feelings or anything because season one is fucking fantastic but like yeah you're not gonna get those same people at least at madhouse and uh, apparently they interviewed the director. And he's like, yeah, I made like a lot of phone calls. I called in a lot of favors. So unlikely. So let's see how it goes. It really just depends on which studio picks it up and also when it gets released. I, I suspect it'll be 2023. It might be later than that, depending on how long it takes for a studio to actually start adapting stuff. Um, but of course, there's also like other things that are getting adapted too. So um, we're going to move on to the last adaptation we want to talk about and Quite probably the most contentious one uh, of the bunch that we're featuring today. Um, so, so, yeah. so here, uh, uh, Will, I have good news, bad news. So let me give you the good news first. Okay, yeah, give it to me straight, Doc. 
Haikyuu is getting a two-part sequel anime movie. Ooh, fucking great. I really like Haikyuu. Okay. So, we're good, right? Like, that just, that's just good news, right? Good news all around, right? What's the bad shit? Why are you leading me on with this? Uh, So, the way that season... Would you call it season four? Because season four, part one and two, but it's called To the Top. It's season four. Season four. Or, or the fourth season, the if, four. more specifically. Right. Yeah. It ended at a point that it was very obvious where in the manga it was at because surprise surprise the manga series is done in complete and completed so you could technically read it at, on viz media and just like enjoy the ride but the the stopping point of season 4 has like about another 100 chapters yeah so it's not so much that it's getting adapted as the contentious part it's the fact that it's titled as haiku final Meaning that the sequel movies are going to be the be-all, end-all of the Haikyuu anime series. But there could be final season part one and final season part two. Well, they already said it's going to be a two-part sequel movie. So I don't think they will say, oh, the fi- the second final season, right? They won't do that, right? I suspect it'll be like two two-hour anime movies. So four hours total. Four hours. Four hours for roughly 110 chapters. I have no idea. But... Like I, I think, look, it's definitely a bit obscure as to like why they decided to just rush into doing two anime movies just to round up the whole Haikyuu series. I feel it's more a business decision, though, simply because of the fact that the Haikyuu series, like, in terms of the manga, is done. So there really is no need to continue to further adapt more stuff. They might as well just get everything wrapped up and get it done, and then Production IG can go off and do other stuff. Um that's not to say that like that's the reason why. I mean, we've seen with Demon Slayer, it's ended like a year and a half, almost two years already, but it's still getting adaptations like, in full as well. So it's not just anime movies; it's also full on curves of anime seasons. Right, and because it's a movie, you have to technically watch it in theaters before they release it on streaming platforms or on a Blu-ray and so on and so forth. And that's always harder to access compared to. Just going onto Netflix or Crunchyroll or High Dive or whatever and watching the show every week. So I guess it is a business decision and at least we're getting more Haikyuu. But it is a bit – I'm a bit hesitant at receiving this news. A mixed feeling, if you will, yeah. I still think it would be good. Of course, like the main concern is like how are they going to condense that much anime – that much manga into two movies? Do you think they actually won't? I think it would draw the ire of the fans if they did just skip out a bunch of stuff. I wouldn't it wouldn't be surprised if they cut some stuff out. It would it would make sense because all you have to do is just nitpick a couple things and then just, you know, make it so that it's a little bit more streamlined. We've seen series do that before. I mean, it's to to cut stuff, to cut content from the manga when doing adaptations is not a new thing at all. But the issue here is that it's not sort of like to cut stuff in order to get a season out. This is like to cut stuff out in order to have a good ending. And that's where like the main issue is. If you want to send off Haikyuu with a bang, it's risky business when you're starting to cut stuff out that made Haikyuu such a powerhouse in sports, manga, and anime. Yeah, and everyone adores Haikyuu. And to be honest, if they did not call it the final, even if it was the final thing that they produce, I would be okay with it because that at least implies that, oh, okay, maybe... They had to do a sequel movie and then come back with season five. But now that you say Haikyuu final, like that, that's it. You have now like 
stamped it, approved it. This is it. And if you don't stick the landing, it's gonna be bad. But I still think it's gonna be pretty high grossing. I still think it's gonna be well received. It's just gonna be one of those. It it might be one of those. Well, it could have been more. It could have been better. It could have been better adapted, better received. But I think in the end, the good news is still the fact that we will be getting more Haikyuu to watch, as expected. All right. Well, this next news story is yours, but do you want me to start? Yeah, bring it in. Well, uh, a very well-known anime uh, that is going to premiere in October is called Chainsaw Man. Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah, of course. Right. Um, It is the Tatsuki Fujimoto's manga. Now, the studio that is adapting it is MAPPA. You know, MAPPA is really well-known and really good and really competent. But the CEO of MAPPA all of a sudden just out of nowhere was like made kind of, was it an interview or just kind of a statement? Yeah. So at Crunchyroll, um, the Crunchyroll Expo, uh, one of the interviewers, which was uh, IGN Friends, uh, specifically was speaking with uh, Manabu Otsuka, who is the CEO of MAPPA. And he's gone on record to say that one day, someday in the future, they want to adapt every single manga, every single work that Fujimoto has done into movies. But for now, they're going to be focusing everything onto Chainsaw Man because why the hell not? So that that's the key word, though. Movies. Now, it makes sense in terms of the one-shots with Look Back Airy and... Um, was it Look Back? No, no, no look, look, look Back and Goodbye Airy. Yeah, yeah that's uh, right. And then there was also the other one, too. Just uh, just listen to the song. Or, yeah, but that one's like 20 pages. So. Yeah, so it won't be an adaptation of a movie. It might just be maybe like a short, like a one, like a, like a literal one episode OVA. Uh, I think it could be done. It, it might be done. If if, if he's going to stick to his word, right? Otsuka is going to stick to his word, then he probably will adapt that, too. But as Look Back and Goodbye Airy can be adapted as movies, I don't know if a movie is right for Fire Punch. It makes sense to do it because it's not that long. It's only eight chapters, uh, eight volumes. Eight volumes, yeah. But, I mean, so was Chainsaw Man. And that was also like, I think it was like nine or ten volumes. It came up to, episode, it came up to chapter 97 before it ended uh, the first part. Yeah, and you really like Fire Punch. And I read, I think, the first two volumes. It's a tough read. It's it's it, 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 it it's really be, good, though. Basically, anytime you go into like the sort of like, censored stuff the uh the stuff that gets flagged up as not safe for work or 18 plus or just hey what the fuck are you doing with your web searches you better clear this shit before the fbi knocks your door down that's what fire punch is and uh whilst i'm very very happy to hear that there could be a possible adaptation of fire punch i'm also very wary that because a lot of stuff in it is incredibly incredibly risque and not safe for work that it would be a very watered-down adaptation. I'm just going to say it now. The fact that they said movies and uh, just means that Fire Punch is not happening, in my opinion, because Fire Punch was ages ago. Um, technically, I would, I think everyone would, pref- would see it more as a TV anime rather than a TV movie. And at the same time, as you said, the content is uh, really controversial and very in-your-face and very gory and violent. But whereas um, Goodbye Airy and Look Back, we know, have won tons of awards, gotten ton of attention, and they are the perfect format for either, like we said, like a three-episode OVA or a movie, literally. So I think that is basically him saying, 
we're doing the one shots if we can. Well, let's take his statement in full, right? He's interested in making movies, but at the same time, of all works from Fujimoto. So I do still think that if there is space for it, that they will at that fire punch. And making a movie would make sense because I think a movie would be easier to be able to get like a more mature rating as opposed to a TV anime. That That's how I feel. Because um, just the fact, unless, of course, they go exclusively um, Blu-ray or only like airing Fire Punch on like the more adult-oriented streaming services. So there is a possibility for it. We have seen some real gory, messed up shit getting licensed by Netflix. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, like... Um, Watching, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see on on Disney Plus. That would not actually fit their 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 platform. That would but, not fly. Whatever but, you're thinking, but you of. would definitely think that like maybe Amazon Prime can pick it up, right? Like there are avenues for Fire Punch to be adapted in full, but at the same time, because he said the word movies, that's where it's like, hmm, they might just decide to condense everything and then just release it as a two hour thing. Who knows? I don't. And at, at the same time as well, I don't know how well it would do. Right. As a side note, uh, he also said, oh, we hope to adapt Chainsaw Man, uh, the second part, at some point as well, which, duh. I mean, no shit, right? Like, it's the one of the biggest properties, if not the biggest property. I think right now the Chainsaw Man hype is higher than Spy- uh, Spike's Family. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of which, do you pronounce the X in Spike's Family? Yeah, Spike's Family, yeah. I, I say it, Spike's Family. It's like Hunter Hunter, but you don't pronounce the, pronounce the X. But nobody's corrected us in terms of Spike's family. I think either. it's just like the way the masses decided to pronounce it, right? Like I say Hunter X Hunter, but people say Hunter Hunter. I just it, for me, it's the X is important. So fair enough. Okay, on to the last bit of news that we're going to go into. Now, this is a bit of a downer. Uh, we've been talking about adaptations. We've been talking about announcements to have future adaptations, um, but. When it comes to the future of anime studios, it's not looking very good right now. So uh, there was a report that came out uh, from the research firm Tekoku Data Bank uh, that was published on uh, talking about the anime industry back in 2021. Now, the report stated that around 40%, specifically 39.8% of 309 anime production studios uh, had incurred losses in 2021, which is 0.9% higher than 2020 and the highest ever in the data bank's records. So, of course, the fact, you know, there's a thing called COVID. It did have a massive impact on every industry, not just anime companies. Um, but it also meant that there was like a shortage on human resources. There was a lot of delays to productions. Uh, and that's kind of why it pushed that number to a record high. For me, the number that stood out was the total industry revenue for 2021 amounted to 249.582 billion yen. So around $1.87 billion. So that sounds like a huge number, but this is 5% lower than 2020. And it marks the first time ever since 2000 that the anime industry for uh, two consecutive years has had a decrease. So it kept going up, 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 and then Literally 2021 and 2020 was like, nah, son, let's go the other way. Yeah. So just to sort of give you a little back uh, background information on it, too. Um, 2020, um, the data bank recorded there was a 1.8% contraction in total revenue for the industry. So 1.8% in 2020, 5% then in uh, 2021. Uh, actually, no, 5% lower than 2020. Yeah, so, so it's um, even worse. Yeah. So um, it's not looking great. I mean, in terms of like, if we talk about like, 
how much money the anime companies make on average the revenue was around 818 million yen or around 6.1 million uh us dollars uh which is a lot lower than 2020 and it's also second time it has decreased uh from the previous year since uh 2017 so it's not looking great it's actually kind of worrying how these anime studios are going to survive i mean of course there's going to be enough people that would be like well, we'll just, we'll just put more funding into these companies. Yeah, or but, they consolidate yeah. or something. Like, there are kind of uh, alternative solutions to sort of, uh, what would you call it? Like, make it stable for a certain period of time. Yeah. But the issue is not just within the anime industry, too. Like, I mean, a lot of the studios are based in Japan. Though, of course, a lot of these companies do also have transactions and partnerships with overseas companies. So, you know, there's transactions with Chinese companies, American companies, Korean companies. A lot of countries work with Japan in terms of doing anime productions. But it's not just the anime production side that is going to be affected by this whole global pandemic. The whole of Japan right now is going through a pretty rough time. Specifically, some some prefectures, some cities, for example, like Kyoto, is on the brink of bankruptcy. Um, actually, actually, the BBC announced uh, just uh, a couple days ago that... Um, there is a new sort of like program, not really a program, but like an incentive for the young generation to try and boost the economy by drinking more alcohol. Because apparently kids are not drinking as much alcohol as the older generation. Wait, for real? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, do you drink much? I don't drink much at all. Yeah, I don't drink much. And it's the same for a lot of Japanese youth. I mean, by youth, I mean like people who are surveyed between the ages of 20 to 39 because the legal drinking age is 20 in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, therefore, of course, it's like they're not going to be asking anyone that's 18, 19 because no, no, you cannot drink when you're at that age in Japan. Um, But uh, yeah, that was one of the smart ideas that Japan had to be able to boost the economy. So, it's, it's dire straits for Japan. And same with a lot of countries all around the world. It's not like Japan is the only one that is uh, getting the fallout from essentially COVID. Yeah, but nonetheless, it's still not good news, right? We, we of course, hope that with the amount of people who are staying at home and watching anime and watching anything else, that it would at least boost revenues for streaming companies. It would at least give more incentive for anime production studios to continue pumping more content. But I think with the fact that we've seen some streaming studios uh, losing uh, the amount of uh, subscriptions, it's it's not like a clear-cut solution that you you produce more anime, more people will come and watch stuff because people have been leaving a lot of these subscription platforms. Yeah, and just because we keep saying and reporting in some cases that anime is bigger than ever, more popular than ever, this is hard statistics, hard numbers saying that yeah, but it's actually losing, uh, not size, but like what's it called? contracting essentially, right? So the industry as a whole has gotten smaller. And we've heard time and time again of animators getting underpaid, uh, mangakas getting health hiatus, and all these kind of issues. And I think it's all just coming to a head. Yeah, I, I think like the hope, of course, is that going forward as countries around the world are getting more acclimated to living with covid japan is also one of those countries where it's like similar to hong kong and japan and china in terms of like having like really really rigorous uh covid controls japan is also one of those countries uh, where it's just trying their best to be able to keep everything under control but at the at the same time at the detriment of the economy hopefully things open up you know they have opened up the country to 
you know, external visitors, overseas visitors, but it hasn't come back with the same sort of numbers as they were pre-pandemic. And that makes sense. But I think the faster that Japan can adapt to living with COVID and being able to at least revitalize a lot of the businesses, a lot of the companies they have, who knows? Maybe the future will be a little more, a little more bright as opposed to bleak. But right now, it's uh, it's tough. It's it's very very tough. And of course, anybody who loves watching anime, who loves reading manga, should be worried because what happens if all of a sudden one day your favorite studio just says, "You know what? We can't handle this COVID pandemic anymore. We have to lay off a lot of staff, and we have to reduce the amount of projects we take on." Or worst I mean, that case, has happened already. And worst case, maybe we just completely shut down. Yeah, that that would suck for any studio. So yeah. The hope, of course, is that people these these companies will rebound and at least be able to be a little bit more in like the flat line as opposed to in the red. But it's going to take time. I think that like actual financial recovery for a lot of industries post COVID will take at least two three years because, spoiler alert, the whole world is kind of going to shit right now. So um, fingers crossed, things get better. All right, I think that is the end of our new segment. Um, Will, how you feeling? Pretty good. I think we can just go into a little like a little preamble in terms of what we're discussing for today's episode, which we actually didn't really sort of preview uh, in the beginning of this recording. So um, yeah, today we're going to be doing a studio analysis. We're going to be bringing this back and talking about, I would say, one of our favorite studios. Definitely, yeah. Right. We're going to be going over Wit Studio, very very renowned for some of the biggest properties that you've watched. We're going to be discussing a lot of those, and some of those where like you already know, like it's one of the best properties from Wit Studio. We'll briefly mention. We don't really need to go that deep into it, but outside of like the, the the usual suspects, there's a lot of good stuff that comes out of uh, Wit Studio. Yeah, and we watched stuff that we haven't really mentioned before, or at least not in a big capacity. So we will be focusing this episode on talking about those shows, while also at least mentioning some of the shows that. Uh, Will and I keep spamming to all of you guys because we love some of these shows to death. Yep. So just a little bit of background information on Wit Studio. While it sounds like they've been around the block for a long, 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 long time, they've actually only been in existence for 10 years. So they were founded by a former employee of Production IG, George Wada, back in 2012. Uh, and then after the founding, uh, Tetsuya Nakatake uh, was placed as one of the representative directors of the studio. So the studio is actually comprised of a lot of former Production IG staff members. So that includes uh, Kyoji Asano as an animation director, Satoshi uh, Kadawaki, who's also an anime director, uh, animation director, and uh, probably one of the, the biggest names within the director world of anime productions, Tetsuro Araki. Oh, of bubble fame. And other other pretty pretty big properties too, like Bubble and Bubble, <laughs> only Bubble, only Bubble. Well, the bubble burst. Anyways, so, Will, what is your opinion of Wit Studio in terms of maybe its style, what it means to you personally? So, when we go by style, we don't necessarily mean like just basically like how it represents itself, its aesthetic. Uh, the feel of the studio, of the feel of the productions they make. Um, but of course, there are some studios that have like a very signature style to them. Like, for example, if you talk about Studio Trigger, they have a lot of specific poses, Easter eggs, animation quality, like, like and, and sequences. Kyoto Animation, very much, they do a lot of like very emotional, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, specific originals. And uh, let's, let's just say that Kyoto Animation is either really, really fluffy or you'll cry your fucking eyes out. And, With studio, and, and their yeah. look is very 
There's a distinct look. There's a very distinct look for sure. Wood Studio is a little bit kind of, I wouldn't say they're like a bit of everything, but it's more because of the fact that you talk about like what a specific style there is for Wood Studio. It's kind of hard to pinpoint one. It's because they they, they kind of have like dabbled into a variety of different kinds of productions. So it's not just down to doing originals, which do they do. A third of their anime productions are actually originals. Uh, it's not just down to like, very, very good action sequences, even though, of course, you know when they do action sequences, they're really, really fucking good. I think they just try to do the best they can uh, whenever it comes to a specific production, when it comes to a specific project. It's very much like, for example, UFO Table, where it's like, you know that if you're watching a UFO Table thing, that the production and the animation quality is going to be always, almost always, like, movie quality. Yeah, and I think that Wit Studio is a name that everyone respects. Whether or not you like the work that they produce, it is a name that is definitely recognizable. Yeah. I wouldn't say it is like super like famous, but if I were to say, hey, do you like Attack on Titan Season 1, 2, and 3? Oh, you do? Just like everyone else? Yeah, well, uh, Wit Studio did it. Oh, do you like Spike's family? Well, they collaborated on it. So no, I, I think like when it comes to like okay within the, within the anosphere, right? In the anosphere, um, like when we talk about really called anosphere, the anime sphere. Okay, I'm just trying to the weebdom, the yeah, weebdom. Yes, the weebdom, right? Um, you, when you talk about like top tier studios, right? We're talking, for example, like Kyoto Animation. We're talking about UFO Table, right? At the time, we were talking about Madhouse, right? I would say that Wood Studio sits at that table too. And, Absolutely, and yeah. like. We, we, we're going to be covering a varying level of different uh, productions, uh, whether it's anime series or movies, maybe even ONAs. Whether we like the series or not, for the most part, I'm always impressed by the level of quality and art that Wit puts into their productions. So whether they're doing like really like fast-paced action, whether they're doing very scenic backdrops, the choice of color, the palettes they use, uh, even like when it comes to like even simple things like character expressions. Right, we talk about like mouth animations. We talk about how characters like sort of symbolize emotion without saying anything. Wit always puts in a very, very good level whenever whenever they're producing anything. And as an example, for like we'll, we'll talk about the, the series specifically later on. Um, but Attack on Titan, first three seasons done by Wit, really, really fucking good. And whilst Mappa with their adaptations of like the final seasons. It's also pretty good. I would still prefer watching Wit Studio in terms of like how they produced season one, two, and three. Because holy fuck, some of the sequences in season three specifically, yeah, were the Levi just, just crazy. That Levi traversing scene, I had to like replay that like five times when I first saw it. It, it was just so it's, good, it's fucking amazing. And then that then brings up the point of, for example, Vinland Saga, where season one was done by Wit, but season two is going to be done by Mappa. So. I really like season one. It'll be interesting to see how season two pans out under Mappa's direction. But uh, I, I mean, this is not a slate on Mappa. They're doing a great job. It's just that it's really hard to go up against wit when it comes to the quality of their animation and art. Really, really hard. So for me personally, I always, if I were to say like, oh, Kyoto animation is all about pretty things looking pretty and vivid. And with Studio Trigger, it's all about balls to the wall action and um if mappa is for the time being 
a lot of action-oriented shows. And I then always, there's also, like, for example, production IG when they do, like, sports adaptations as definitely, well. Definitely. Right? Definitely with Haikyuu and everything. I always attribute Wit Studio as, like, the artsy uh, studio. Um, I really in, appreciate, as you said, the aesthetics, the art, the color palette, but also the music, the orchestral pieces is fucking phenomenal. Like, if we were to take away, like, the Hosoda stuff, maybe even the Ghibli stuff, Wit Studio is almost, like, Disney-esque level when it comes to the level of music and orchestral composition, right? Like, it's it's hard to compare productions when you have composers like like a certain Hiroyuki Sawano, who did Attack on Titan, Cabernet, Bubble, Seraph, um, Satoru Kosaki, who did the soundtrack for Vivi, uh, and then Yutaka Yamada, who did the soundtrack for Vinland Saga, like... All of those productions have incredible music. It, it's it's always very very exuberant. It's always beautiful. I I, I, I can never shit on with when it comes to the level of music they have. It, it's just it's just always very encapsulating. I mean, we, we shit on Bubble, but holy fuck, the music is amazing for that. It really draws you in, right? And I, I think it was like we said it was an eyegasm and an eargasm, and it really is Bubble, regardless of how you feel about everything else those is an eye candy and it is like ear candy i guess it is just really really well done yeah one of the things that you also brought up as well is and and one thing i definitely noticed is like the juxtaposition between like the different aesthetics and culture clashes of like the east meets west yeah so this is just like a personal observation i don't know how true it is but i think it is somewhat you know substantiated is all they Wit Studio embraces a lot of cross-culture stuff. So here's an example. Attack on Titan. Uh, they they chose that project. They decided to do it. And they have European architecture. You I know? mean, also, all the names are very European as fuck, too, right? Absolutely. And it's, it's, again, other than Mikasa, though. Yeah. Well, other than Mikasa, yeah. But it's like it's, it's not just like circumstance. It's not like, oh, they just happened to produce this anime or this, this manga. Therefore, of course, they're going to have that juxtaposition of East meets West. But you you look at the rest of the catalog and you kind of find that commonality between a lot of the different productions. Yeah, like Great Pretender is essentially Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Eleven is a very... Ooh, you hear that honking? Yeah, yeah. there's some really mad people around the studio. Look, with studio's good, guys. Just chill the fuck out. Yeah, but back on the Great Pretender thing, right? Yeah. Like, when you look at like the sort of color palette and the character designs, you would say it's not... It's, it, it's kind of weird to say it's not standard Eastern kind of animation it's it's, no. it's it's very very clashy with its choice of colors and its way of being able to compose characters but at the same time it's very much like a a, a japanese written story i don't think i think of all the studios i have seen the most foreigners being portrayed in like their characters being portrayed obviously they speak japanese but their characters being portrayed and there are non-Japanese people. I mean, like, Vinland Saga with its with Nordic, with Nordic background. Yep. Um, you also have Ancient Magus' Bride with its European fantasy fairy tale. Basically Harry Potter. Fyke's Family with its Eastern European kind of architecture as well. And Vampire in the Garden with basically uh, the video game Frostpunk or Soviet Russia. So it is... Uh, all these shows have a very unique setting that culminates into this aesthetic and this environment that for some reason, when I see all these different settings, even though they're completely different from one another, I'll be like, yeah, that looks like a Wit Studio joint. 
And for them, it's also like they definitely are a little bit particular with the productions they do. They don't just adapt everything. They look at their fortes. They look at the studio, like the staff that they have, and then they they. It's it's not that they get to pick and choose. Sometimes, if they need work, they will get work. But for the most part, whenever they adapt something, it's like, yeah, no, this was definitely something that would would absolutely have adapted. I feel like it's always very deliberate. Every choice that they make is very deliberate. And I think that uh, going off of um, the Ancient Magus Bride, I think the fairy tale aesthetic is something that at least I have noticed as a pattern in with Studios Catalog. For example, Ranking the Kings, the look of it is very much like Disney kind of like not your typical anime look, right? Would you say? Yeah. I mean, you also wouldn't expect Wit to just pick up like a sports anime or like your like your standard shonen. That right. Just, that just, just doesn't seem like their kind of style, right? You wouldn't see what studio. I mean, you could totally see what studio doing Demon Slayer, but it's also not really their modus operandi. Yeah. Uh, they also do like action scenes well, but I would not say that they're very kinetic all the time. Like, there are times when, you know, the, was it, uh, Sakuga, it looks yeah. fantastic. I mean, it just looks fantastic anyways, but they up the, the, the frames per second. So Villain Saga, it's like, yeah, the action scenes are incredible, but it's the in-betweens, the story, the plot delivery, where it's also like, wow, like, it's a very encapsulating environment, and I'm always in for, like, a good wit adaptation of a good story. And that's why I think Wit Studio is kind of the artsy like unorthodox type of persona that they uh, the vibe that they give me for sure but they make it like very palatable too as strange as some of the premises are for some of the stories they um, do i mean yeah let's think about this for a sec right like cabinary in the iron fortress right people say it's an attack on titan clone okay regardless we still love it but hey do you like train to busan yeah right? do you like um wait what was that snow piercer snow piercer was uh, did you watch the movie or the TV series? I watched the movie. I watched the TV series. Oh, okay. It's okay. I heard the movie was also just okay as It was well. okay, but it was it's very unique. But then what happens if we add um, zombies to trains? It's fucking great. There you go. Yeah. I, I would have no problem in terms of recommending Cabinary, which we'll go into later on. But, um, I mean, there's also stuff, for example, I mean, you, you talked about Great Pretender and how it's essentially like a heist series like an ocean's 11-esque thing absolutely but, but it's done really fucking well i mean despite how we feel about the movie about the series it, it's still a really good series i still would be able to like at least say hey it's worth checking out i mean it's not every day where um a studio would have the balls to have a japanese voice actor speak english and have it be just horrendous but then they lean into it and they commit and i'm just like yeah, okay, fine. Why didn't you use the English dub? But sure. sure. I mean, it's not perfect. But they, whatever they do, they they try their damn hardest. So they sure. have their wits about them, right? Very, very witty. All right. So um, that is sort of our general feel about how we think a wit studio is, what they represent. Uh, one thing I'll also like to mention that I forgot to mention is not only with the fairy tale aesthetic, but the future outlook for wit studio. So first of all, Spike's family part two is it called part two season one part two oh my god this is going to be a trend isn't it um i think it's going to there, be there's got to be some consistency at some point uh, but i don't think they're going to do that i think it's just going to be oh we have two seasons we have two we have two curves but whether or not they're season one season two or just one whole season we'll leave it you to fi- leave it to you to figure and it out. having one anime season in between to kind of take a break i think that's a still a like, not bad 
decision. Yeah. So Spyx is going to be coming out uh, with season two or part two in fall 2022. So very soon. And then we also have a Ranking of Kings special coming out sometime in 2023. Right. Which got announced quite recently. And then um, there is The Big Boy, which is... uh, Brothers Grimm. Yeah, Grimm. And with Netflix. They're also doing Moonrise as well. So two um, original net animations. Um, they're still under development. The announcement dates for those have not been released yet. But yeah, there's still going to be more stuff to come out from Wit. And I think going uh, Will, forward... Is it, you know? is it Clamp that's also partnering with Wit Studio? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember... Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. It is It is Clamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think like the future outlook is that it, there's going to be consistency anyway right i mean the fact that you're doing like weird fairy tale kind of things you're yeah. still like building up that kind of repertoire of doing more unorthodox like adaptations i think that's just going to be consistent going forward for wit studio and i think wit studio is a studio that everyone needs to know so we will be going on to a break uh, shortly, but before we go into that, whilst we are going to be covering a lot of wit productions, whether it's anime series, movies, OVAs, ONAs, whatever it may be, there's also a lot of stuff we won't be covering, and there's going to be specific reasons as to why. So we're going to go into those, and uh, if you hear these, and we're not going to be going over it. We're sorry, but you know, just 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 hear us out. All right. So, will are we going to talk about the shows that we have mentioned before? Or are we going to go straight into these are things that will not be covered? Sorry. Some stuff, like you know, for example, like your typical Spikes families and uh, with uh, anime uh, Attack on Titans, we will briefly discuss. But because we talked about them a lot already, we won't go that deep into it. Uh, but this section is specifically stuff we will not cover at all. So on the television series size, there there's going to be three specific series we're not going to go into. Kadama no Konjiro, which is a children's show and it's not streamed online. Garu Gaku, uh, Sync Girls Square Academy, which is like a, a three-minute idol series that's based on the group Girls Squared. And, you know, kind of idol things are not really our thing. So I'm looking at this docket list section for things we don't cover. I don't really know almost all of them, except for obviously Pokemon the movie yeah. and how. I know how. I know Onipan. Is that airing right now yeah it's uh only it, it's air, it either aired now or it's airing the, the season previously but again it's also a three-minute series it's part of like a tv tokyo's children variety program ohasuta again not really our thing um so yeah those are the three series we're not going to go into films there's a lot of films that we're not going to go into um hal which i think was like one of the first movies they did um it's i just haven't got around to watching it uh, i think of all the things that we don't cover I think Hal is the one that I am most interested in checking out. Whether or not it's a good or bad show or bad movie, we, I don't know. But it's the one that stands out to me the most. I mean, it's the first movie they did, so yeah. it should be worth checking out. We just didn't get around to watching it because time's a bitch, right? We're not going to do all of the recap movies because they're recap movies. So that's all of the Attack on Titan movies, which is parts one and two, uh, which covers the first season. The Roar of Awakening, which covers season uh, second season. And Chronicle, which condenses all three seasons together. And then, of course, we're also not going to be talking about Kabaniri movies, which is just parts one and two, though there are movies that we'll talk about later on, simply because parts one and two are recap movies. Uh, we're also not going to be talking about Empire of Corpses. Um, again, just never really got around to watching it. And it, the premise was also just not really that interesting to us. I've never heard of it. It's a two-hour long movie, so it's like it's, that's a long time for us to figure out if we like the movie or not. Apparently, so. Laughing Other the Clouds Guide In, I've never heard of that either, but okay, we're not covering it. Yeah, Laughing Under the Clouds, the TV series... Uh, is 
streamable, but um, it's not. Oh, it's Doga Kobo. Yeah. yeah. So it was done by Doga Kobo, so not going to be discussed in a WIT Studio analysis. Uh, and the movie itself, uh, not streamable unless you pay Amazon for it and we're not. We're, we're cheap bastards. We're not. We're not yeah. paying for it. And then um, there's a Pokemon movie. So the power of us. Yeah. And but, you know we've 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 lived Pokemon for like two thirds, if not almost all of our lives. Um, at this point, it's you know if you're still playing or watching Pokemon, hey, good for you. My friend was uh, a coworker was playing Pokemon Emerald yesterday oh, on shit. his phone. Oh, awesome! Like I, I okay, I like the the early generation Pokemon games. No, no doubt. But it's like. Sword and Shield and whatever came out afterwards. No, I haven't got around to I did X and it. Y as well. That was the, the DS one, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's the DS one because I didn't own a Switch, so. So that was when, like, Pokemon Black and White came out too then. Yeah, so like, the previous generation before it's on Switch. So, look, we're not going to go over the Pokemon stuff. Sorry. But, um, hey, if you're still playing it, good for you. So we won't go over things like uh, music videos and video games which a lot of these studios produce on the side as well. I mean earlier we talked about Studio Trigger doing a commercial for Delicious in Dungeon. So it comes to no surprise that with Studio or any other studio also has these kind of I won't call it side hustles but like mini projects. Yeah. But one thing that I do want to mention is OVAs and ONAs and we won't go over any of them. But there's one that I do want to mention, which is the Ancient Magus Bride OVA that is airing on Crunchyroll, but it's also simultaneously released every uh, with volume 16, 17, and 18. So those are like the three episode prequels, right? Uh, so it's a it's an anime original story, and I think the name is like a really really long ass name. I for I'm trying to like find it right now. Okay, it is called the Ancient Magus Bride colon. The Boy from the West and the Night of the Mountain Haze. Yeah. You've watched it there, right? Nope. Okay. Because I'm waiting for the third episode that is supposed to come out September 22nd. Because that's when the 18th volume comes out. So you got a month from now then? Yep. Um, so yeah, there's a specific reason why we're not going to go over the OVAs and some uh, ONAs. Um, but uh, yeah, we will be covering a lot of the good stuff. So don't worry. There's still a lot of stuff for you to listen to. And if, you're covering, if we're covering stuff you haven't watched before... There's going to be a bunch of reasons why they're worth checking out. So uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll go into the nitty-gritty of today's discussion with Studio. Welcome back to episode 41, the second half. Uh, We are going to be going into the Wit Studio analysis. It's still Will. It's still Jason. Uh, Jason's still wearing the same glasses, so that's good. Yep, Continuity that's good. is always good for us. Um, so we went into uh, not just only the news, but also a little bit of a preamble in terms of how we're going to be formatting today's episode. So as we're going to be going oh, we're, over... we're wiping uh, the, the episode. We're reformatting it as like... A... Well, as in essentially like stuff that we won't be talking about. We already listed that. So, so... journal case sensitive or yeah. FAT 32. ASA or whatever. Yeah, whatever. American yeah. standards. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, um, Will. Uh, we are talking about Wit Studio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of like, we because we went over like stuff that we're not going to be mentioning, right? We we talked about some of the series we're not going to go over, some of the movies, a lot of the movies actually. Um, so we're just going straight into the stuff that is listed on our mostly recommended, or at least like stuff that we have watched and will be willing to review for the second. Right, half. but I actually think that we should. Um, have a bit of a section on 
shows that are either well, like we called it brief discussions, which like, is we want to touch on it, but we don't really want to go in depth on into yeah. it. So they're either in this section because no brainers, like you you actually have already watched it, or like you absolutely should watch it. And then other ones were just like we've kind of featured like at varying lengths throughout the past seasons of the GAP. So really no need to dedicate that much more time in terms of explaining why or why not you should watch something. But we also don't want to ignore them because, for example, um, Attack on Titan season one, two, and three. To me, this is obviously a very important, very impactful show. But to me, this was the moment that I knew about Wit Studio. And I did not know Wit Studio before Attack on Titan. Now, of course, I have went back and watched some stuff, but I did not know which studio was which studio until Attack on Titan. I mean, it was the first thing they did, right? Yeah. 2013 was the first season, and then they waited, like, what? I think it was, like, six years before season two came out. Yeah, it was two curves, right, the first season. Yeah, and then, like, season two, season three took, like, a long time. Like, there's a lot of stuff that came out, like, came out in between the first season and second season. Um, so we'll be covering a lot of those. Um, other things we're not really going to be going into. Uh, quick, quick, quick thing about Attack on Titan, though. Will, what do you think about the move to MAPPA for Attack on Titan, the final season? Well, I mentioned it in the first half that I think that it's a job well done so far by MAPPA. Um, I don't have any issues with, like, the character quality or like the animation quality i know that a lot of people were like this looks like shit this is like garbage compared to wit but i, I thought, remember we watched the first episode of the final season i've watched a fair amount of them and the 3d was we thought was okay i didn't have any issues yeah. really in terms of animation yeah it looks it, different. It, it looks like 3d but it looks different for sure but it's also not like bad either like i still very much enjoy what map had done uh, what uh, had done and will I, do right i just preferred what what studio had done before right so if you haven't watched any of Attack on Titan, um, go, go do that. Yep. Uh, also, uh, we're not going to be talking much about Vivi, Florida Eyes Song, because we have already simped the fuck out of Vivi. Um, uh, fucking great. Yeah, if you uh, have a studio that we think is very well known for orchestral music or just music in general, and then they're also a very well known for having a very clean, aesthetic, visual look, well then, guess what? Combine the two and you get Vivian with an original sci-fi script. There you go. Yeah. The music composer for it, uh, Satoru Kasaki, fucking phenomenal job. So that's our that, that that's our two cents on uh, Vivi again. Now, Spike's family, like, come on. How many times have we have to mention this? Spike's family is awesome. Yep. So the first season finished up in spring 2022, and the second season is going to be coming out in the following season. So uh, we just did the summer review uh, not too long ago. And so now we're going to be waiting for fall 2022 for the second season or the spring, second part. Right? Uh, yes. No, spring was season one. Yeah. Fall, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. So the upcoming season, uh, which is season two or part two, however you want to name it, uh, will be coming out in fall. So, I mean, Spice made fucking great. I do think, though, we should also mention briefly that uh, the score on my anime list dropped dramatically after the finale of uh, part one or season one. And I think... That is largely due to what Will and I thought would be included as the finale episode. But no, they're saving it, I guess, for the premiere of part two or season two, essentially. Yeah, they definitely need to have some like meat in the bones for the second part, right? So it makes sense why they wanted to carry it over. But at the same time, I wanted a, to see it a so lot of bad. people were really hyped for what was to be expected for that last episode. So 
you know, understandable the score dropped, but overall, I still think like Spy X. I don't think I know Spy X movie is a wor- is, is a worthy watch because it was in the stinger, right? Like the post credit scene, but then the finale didn't address any of it. I don't remember actually because we read the manga. Is that how it played out as well, or because it probably was? It, it was that that right. that was the issue. It yeah. was so they you know can't fault them for trying to be faithful to the to the source. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely watch Spag's Family and then get ready for part two. Uh, Bubble would be the next um, movie that we're going to talk about briefly. And um, you, we've said it already. Um, artistically, in terms of like the music as well, fucking phenomenal. Plot and characters, though. Um, I don't think it's a waste of your time. But I think I think they, I say the exact same thing, which is there are better uses of your time. It's just hard to lower your expectations when you have that crazy like staff and voice acting list on there. I do think like the lineup produced something that I thought was very I mean, underwhelming. Like, I mean, Tetsuro Araki, Gen Urobochi, um, Na- Naoko Sato, and Renji Oki, Hiroyuki Sawano as well, Obata as the character designer. It's, like, how could you not be hyped for it? It's it, we it, were yeah for I sure. I mean, like, and, and, and definitely like character design was great. Music was great. Action was great. The writing was not as great, though. And so you do... There was writing? We implore... Exactly, right? We, right? we implore you to at least go in with lowered expectations. I know it's hard after we just you know listed out a rock star staff cast and voice acting cast as well. So it, it's still a good movie, but with an asterisk. Right. Uh, the next briefly discussed show is Cabinary and the, of the Iron Fortress, which is a show that Will and I love a lot. People say it's an Attack on Titan clone, like, in between. It makes sense, because, like, during that little break where season one ended and then season two began for Attack on Titan, Cabinary was released slam-bang right in the middle. Mm-hmm. So not only the TV series, but also, like, the three-part movie that came out with it as well. The Battle for Ueno, I think. Yeah, so it was... I, I thought I think it was, it was on Netflix, right? Yes. Yes. All all the movies and the TV series was on there, and I thought it was fucking phenomenal. Because you because one day when we were when we were watching it, you're like, "Hey, Will, get on Discord, check this shit out." Okay, sure. It's called Cabinary. It's like, oh, I've seen it on my Netflix to watch. Okay, maybe I'll check it out. The first season, the first episode, fucking lit, fucking phenomenal. Yeah, actually, do you remember that day? Because I I, I think it was one of those things. Like, oh yeah, it's on. Netflix, it, the score is okay. Like, let's just see what's this about. Like, we were pl- like extremely pleasantly surprised. It was no more than I was just like, dude, this is actually really fucking. I don't know why people are giving it such low scores. And by low, it's mean we're meaning like low to mid sevens, which is by all means not a bad score. It's not a bad score, but it's also like kind of rough to paint it with the same brush as Attack on Titan, even though it is done by the same people, and it was released like a year or two after Attack on Titan Season 1 came out. So, I understand the comparisons, but I think if you just watched it as a standalone, without any sort of AOT biases with it, you will very much enjoy watching Capinary of the Iron Fortress along with the three movies that came yeah. along with it. I think the Battle for Ueno was very well-paced and is basically a sequel uh, a, a very worthy sequel and hopefully they will have more because they need to have more it's it was, it's awesome yep great pretender uh we talked about it uh, a couple seasons ago um and okay look aesthetically wonderful music wise also wonderful the whole international globe trotting part of it 
very good. Some of the funky jazz that comes along with it as well. Fantastic. Um, but the, the, the plot itself is, whilst a good story wasn't necessarily the best executed. I I just remember very fond, not, not fondly, just very vividly that a lot of how things get resolved was not because of the skills of the characters, but almost in many ways just sheer dumb luck, which in certain instances is fine. But when it's literally every time, to me, that is just a little bit like either lazy writing or just bad writing. So I still think Great Pretender as a production, and I think that's with with any Wit Studio property, the production value is just top-notch, top-class. No questions whatsoever. It's just the delivery of the plot and how certain things were solved. It just left us wanting more. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's still a solid eight for me. Yeah, and you finished it. I dropped it after, like, the first half because, wait, because they split it in terms of locations, right, in terms of release. It's like France and Shanghai and whatever. So you basically dropped it before. In Dubai, I think? I think there was at least somewhere in the Middle East, maybe Dubai. So you dropped it right before they did the Shanghai arc, which is the last part that came out because they um, they staggered the releases, right? Yes, per location and... People said that the Shanghai arc is actually really good. So. I liked it. I liked Shanghai. It wasn't enough for it to be pushed to a nine for me, but overall, like I, I still enjoyed it. I just, I mean, I, I could still be nitpicky with it, right? So, it, it's good. It could have been great, but it's still worth a watch if you have a Netflix subscription. All right. So that is the end of all the briefly discussed shows, and now we will go over the stuff that we watched specifically for this episode for Wit Studio properties will which one you want to start with um so i spent a lot of time uh re-watching a specific series um in the past two weeks uh this was actually a series i started up watching maybe three years ago on netflix uh and it's still on netflix uh, i'm speaking about seraph of the end uh which was a shonen series that uh, debuted season one in spring of 2015 it's based on the manga of the same name uh the manga itself is still running um and uh so far like in terms of like the score it's, it's doing pretty decently season one was around a 7.49 season two was a 7.52 so a oh, 7.62 sorry uh so generally it's quite um quite well received uh in terms of the the mal fandom um what's the story about it's essentially about you know vampires and uh vampire slayers uh, trying to battle out for supremacy in the world, uh, and two best friends, uh, two best friend orphans, uh, who are separated due to uh, deathly circumstances, uh, having to make do with you know the new lives they have, and trying to make sense of what it means to be human, what it means to be a vampire. Um, so essentially, good and bad. But what's really the gray area between being good and bad? Uh, very typical shonen series, I have to say. So. Whilst I enjoyed watching some of it, overall, though, I felt that whilst watching Seraph at the end, it felt like I had already watched a lot of it from other series. Because it, it's very edgy, right? Like, But, it's, it, but it borrows, like, elements of edginess from, like, Tokyo Ghoul. Right. And, and Tokyo Ghoul is humans versus vampires, or humans versus ghouls, specifically, right. right? And then there's also elements of, like, Blue Exorcist. There's elements of Demon Slayer, even though Demon Slayer came out much, much later uh, in terms of the, um, the 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 manga source and the the anime, right? So it's not a very very unique take on the shonen kind of genre. I there were also parts that I felt were just egregious in terms of introducing certain powers, certain characters, and 
Okay. I'm just going to spoil just just a teeny, teeny bit. Okay. Before you do that, though, I just want to sort of give you my two cents on Seraph of the End, which is I've not seen a single episode. But in terms of hearing about people's opinions of this show... And my opinion. Right. Because it's massively popular. I have heard a lot, a lot of Seraph of the End and how good or bad or just generic it is but will i mean it's doing well i mean the fact that i think it was as of october 2021 uh it had it had 13 million copies of the manga in circulation and still going it's still going the problem is though the reason why there isn't a second like a third season and beyond is because there are certain series like chainsaw man and demon slayer that are completely like shattering records so why put all your time and effort into serve of the end uh, when you know there's other series that's just going to completely blow Seraph of the End out of the water. Do you think Seraph of the End would have been like laud, like really praised upon if it was like you know like 20 years ago? I, well, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, like 20 years ago was also when Naruto was around, right? So I think at that point you would then be going up against the behemoth that is Bleach and Naruto and One Piece. So I feel like Seraph of the End was always going to play second fiddle, right. no matter what. Um, and the spoiling thing you said, yeah, they introduced ninjutsu in it. And yeah, shut the fuck up! No, no, shut. Sh- yeah, there's no, like, no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa! There's flying daggers. You're, and you're fucking around. There's we'll... also like kagabunshi ninjutsu, and then there's genjutsu. As no, well. no, no. Will don't don't that's do this. That's the part. That's the part where I was like, what the fuck is going on? No, because no, this, this is a lie, right? No, it's not. And that's why I was also like, do my eyes deceive me here? This what is the not fuck's a, going on? This is not a bit, listeners. Like, I've not heard this. No, like, this, really? Yeah, and that's where I was just like, "You've lost me now," because there was like no explanation as to how these powers existed. You knew that like the people who were in the series, some of them had like sort of more supernatural like superpowers, and there was explanation behind it. But then there were others where it was just like, "Where did this power come from? I just what thought, purpose does it serve?" You know, I just thought it's vampire knights versus. Like high school nights, and that's where the problem of Seraph at the End comes in. Where it oh, just, oh really? It really tries hard to be edgy. It tries hard to harp on the shonen aspects that you know typical shonen fans would really enjoy, like super OP powers, super amazing like action sequences. And the other thing about this as well is, whilst I've praised the animation quality and the music quality of all of Wit's works. Unfortunately, I felt Surf at the End was one of the weakest ones, and which is weird because the music is also composed by Sawano. So there are bits and pieces where the music is actually incredibly solid, but there are a lot of parts within Surf at the End that had a lot of silence in terms of like no music, no background sounds, just speech. And that's where I was just like, this actually does not feel like a wit production. Yes, the action anime, the action sequences and the animation quality were were good. But it felt inferior compared to. I think it's just the fact that, you know, two seasons, two years before it, Attack on Titan came out, Cabinieri came out around the same time. So when you compare it to those productions, yeah, Surf at the End is overshadowed. It looks yeah. very B tier. Uh, Indiana gave both seasons a seven, not because they were like bad. They were. I still enjoyed watching them, but you, you know how like sometimes when you're watching. When you watch a series, yeah. you're 100% focused. You don't mm-hmm. do anything else. You don't have anything to do in the background. Well, For, not always, but yes, I know exactly where you're going right? with this. I went out to the bathroom, came back, went out to the kitchen, pulled some water, came back. Went out to the to the Checked your phone for the for your emails. And, and for like the whole 10, 15 minutes I was doing that, I didn't miss a single beat 
of Sarah at the end. And that's where the issue, another issue comes in. The plot itself is so easy to follow that I did not need to focus to fully understand. When, when you are able to cook and watch at the same time and not read the subtitles, but when you plug back in and you just know what's going on, that's an issue. That's a problem. It's not, okay, fine. I get to consume everything. I understand it. Wonderful. But it felt like it, it doesn't just, captivate you. No, it, doesn't it doesn't keep your attention. It doesn't. Right? And that's why it's never going to breach a seven. It's good, but there's just a lot of holes that just don't really get explained. Some of the character decisions are kind of like, why would this even be a good decision to begin with? So it is not the end, but the mid point. Mm, oh, I hate that you said that, but it, yeah, it's very mid. Yeah, it's it a is. Very, it's a very mid show. It's not a bad show. It's just... It, it could be uh, it could have been a lot better. And look, do right? they actually address Seraph? Do you know what Seraph yes. is like an angel, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, and it does make an appearance in the series in, in the second season. But I, I think it's not a hard sell to people. But it's one of those if you've watched a lot of Demon Slayer, Bleach, Naruto, it just any, sounds, it just sounds irrelevant now. It doesn't. It, it it's definitely like. It, it made up for, like, that little gap that we had in the mid-2010s when there wasn't really a lot of good shonen. I mean, that that was around the time when, like, you also had, like, Black Clover, you had Fairy Tale, you had um, Seven Deadly Sins and all that. Just a lot of very mid-shows. I mean, I know people... I, I know Black Clover, Seven Deadly Sins, uh, Fairy Tale, they're all extremely popular, but let's be real. They're not amazing shows. They're all very mid Shonen shows that filled in the gap of when you didn't have Attack on Titan, when you didn't have Tokyo Ghoul manga, when you didn't have Demon Slayer coming out yet. So it's in a weird spot. I would not like completely bash on Seraph, but I definitely had more problems than positives to say about the series. Um, yeah, I, personally, it's one of the weaker um, productions from Wit, unfortunately. All right. So then that is Seraph of the End. The next show that we're going to talk about is a 2022 show called The Girl from the Other Side. And this is an OVA that, or technically, I guess, is a, no, no, because they came out with Blu-ray. So it would be an OVA um, that Wit Studio produced. But then this time, it is um, funded on Kickstarter. And disclaimer here, Will and I contributed to the uh, Kickstarting, Kickstarter project. So, uh Good job, GAP. Yeah, GAP, our credit is on the the, the credit roll, so that's pretty cool. So um, at the beginning when we talked about uh, The Girl from the Other Side, it was mostly because of the fact that we wanted to at least show that you know there was a Kickstarter project going on. We had spent a lot of time funding it. There's also people like honking their horns They the don't background. like you, man. They, don't, they just, just don't like the fact that we're shilling. Um, for because, yeah, because GAP. we're talking about this on the other side. So yeah. The Girl from the Other Side, though, is a very, very uh, well-known manga, like uh, – whoa jesus uh by nagabe and the how good is it it's an 8.31 ranked 272 popularity 228 and it's all done with 11 volumes you can uh, read it right now uh, on seven seas entertainment and it's just great so one of the things that i really like about the manga is that it literally looks like a fairy tale uh but drawn in manga form and not only that, but it kind of tells like this actually very depressing and grim story, but behind this backdrop of black and white and gray, but it looks just fantastic. I mean, a lot of the, the color palette is literally just white, black, different shades of white, black, gray, and green. Sometimes they throw a curveball and there would be a blue. 
But yeah, like it's in many ways supposed to look very drab and just very uninteresting, but it's somehow through Wit Studios magic somehow makes it that it is just extremely engrossing. Um, the story is kind of like there's this disease going around and there's this little girl, innocent girl who's dressed in all white. And then there is uh, her sensei who is kind of like the shadowy creature and is in all black and they can't touch each other because she will be infected with this disease. And then it talks about them going on a journey to figure out how to like solve this issue. And then they meet other inhabitants and other people and it just gets more and more complicated and more and more symbolic and metaphors everywhere. And the anime, the three-part anime or the one movie, goes into very little of the story. There's a lot of slice-of-life aspects. They go a little bit into kind of the themes of The Girl from the Other Side. But you can't do much in like a three-episode OVA or what equivalent of like a one-and-a-half-hour movie. So... Would you say that Girl from the Other Side is like that epitome of that unorthodox, magical, like mystical fantasy aesthetic that Absolutely. Wood is known for? And and things look kind of blurry, uh, but then it's like an aesthetic choice rather than a, a like a competency issue. So I think the Girl from the Other Side, I gave it uh, an 8. I, I think the average score is a 7.52, which is... I think a very fair score. Well, speaking on that, then, right? Mm-hmm. Like you talked a lot about the positives of Girl from the Other Side. Were there any parts where you felt like it wasn't as good as you were hoping, or it wasn't it- enough? Mm-hmm. That was the issue. I think, in terms of the aesthetic part, which is a big part of the Girl from the Other Side, I'm sold on that, and I think anybody who watches it is sold on the look. The issue becomes all the things that are implied or developed over the course of eleven volumes of the manga. And very little, if not any of that, is in the anime. Cool, cool, cool. Now we're going to move into uh, a series that I, I think if we're talking about the usual wit aesthetic and style, uh, this one doesn't really fall under that. But nonetheless, it's still a fantastic series. Uh, we're going to be talking about Hazuki's Cool-Headedness. So it was a uh, series that's based on the manga of the same name by Natsumi Eguchi, who did the story and the art. Uh, and uh, it is published in English. Uh, originally, the Japanese name is Ozuki no Retetsu, uh, and the English is uh, published by Kodansha Comics USA as of March twenty uh, March twenty uh, yeah March twenty one two thousand seventeen. So there were two seasons for it. First season premiered in winter two thousand fourteen. Second season came out in the fall of two thousand seventeen. And the scores for the manga source and the two seasons are like high seven, so seven point six, seven point seven, seven point eight. Actually, like, wow, it's incremental, but... I'm just going to say this. Um, Ozuki's Kuharin is, is the Gintama of Wit's portfolio. Yeah, I can see that. So, uh, Ozuki's Cool-Headedness is very much a slice of life, but it takes place in hell. It's a slice-of-life workplace comedy. Yes, because the main character, Hozuki, has to manage, literally manage, the inhabitants of hell or, like, figure out how to put out um, metaphorical fires in hell, which is like the workplace, essentially. God damn, people are fucking angry today. Um, yeah, sorry, we, yeah. We, we apologize because we moved our uh, recording venue to a more residential area, so sometimes um, shit happens. It's so. also uh, Saturday, so that means uh, weekend drivers are going to be very, very uh, 
trigger happy with that air horn. And also because there's just a lot of people, more yeah. people. Yeah. Yep. So um, you got to keep a cool head. With, with the depiction of uh, hell here, it's, of course, you know, hell in Japanese is Jigoku. Uh, and they have their own sort of like ideology, their own sort of like uh, spiritual representations of what, of what hell is. So much in the way that there's different layers of hell, there's also like in, in Japanese mythology, there are different kinds of hell. There's like hell for uh, people who commit uh, murders, hell for people like who circles, commit, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's like a circle of hell that is for uh, people who who, who uh, uh, commit serious fraud, um, theft, and then uh, like murder and like assault, right? Yeah. So that's where it's like the funny part of the workplace because each circle of hell is a different department within hell, and Suzuki has to go around and manage everything in terms of like hiring people in terms of doing hr responsibilities payroll making sure logistics are smooth it sounds boring as shit but when you add it into they have the, a cafeteria dude which actually looks kind of awesome it's too. awesome it, i love the part as well where like at the end of each long the cafeteria table there's a tv at the end mm-hmm. like that and I, they just watch great. yeah and uh special shout out to the opening title sequence which oh, is like fucking the, good the dumbest dance sequence i have ever seen for wit studio i mean there's not a lot of dance sequences in any of the wit studio properties but you just want to march like on the spot you just, you just want to go like hi ho hi ho the yeah. whole time and it's fucking great I, I i have i have nothing really bad to say about hozuki it's only just the fact that like i watched a lot of gintama and i really like gintama that it's kind of unfair but also like no-brainer that like i would compare it to gintama but i enjoy hozuki as its own i, I do like what it represents the comedy style it has um and as well it's just you know it's it's just a fun old time and here's the thing we talked up we were talking about hell we're talking about demons we're talking about like you know being in different like sections of hell but actually the show is quite lighthearted and in many ways like for example hazuki's boss who is satan essentially is like this guy that just like is kind of a softy and there's also like different depictions of like different ideologies of hell there's an egyptian hell there's a christian hell and it's again like i understand that when you go into the topics of you know hell you would then sort of correlate with the topics of religion it doesn't do anything like or like sin or yeah yeah, yeah. it doesn't do anything insensitive it doesn't sort of like bash on other representations of religion and all that they just treat it as is right it's very very like it's 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 the office basically it's it's very light-hearted but some of the comedy beats are really well written. And it's also because of the fact that, yes, it is modeled after the Japanese ideology of hell. But you don't necessarily need to understand a lot of the backstory. Is it Shintoism? Yeah. yeah. So or it's like Shinto, Buddhist. There's like yeah, a good kind mixture of, yeah, of it, yeah. right? So there are certain stories behind like each episode where it's like if you know the story about it, it hits different. But you can also go in just completely blind and not know a single thing about Japanese mythology, but still be okay. Would you say it's very episodic? So there's no through line, really. I mean, there will be like continuing themes throughout, right? right? Like character interactions, little like B plots that kind of carry over from episodes. returning characters, right? But like I think even then, it's like you could just plug in one episode, and you you wouldn't be that lost. You then, could you would be able to understand ninety percent of what's happening on screen. Then would you say season one and two is roughly the same in terms of quality and I, I what you expect? I think that's where it is like those kinds of like slice of life comedies where like unless they start introducing some serious plot continuations you're not going to be experiencing a lot of like very unique storylines from season to season but that's not a bad thing yeah i think for slice of life uh the same 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 old is actually 
never really uh, uh, an insult unless if the same same thing is really bad. Yeah, it's like if you like season one, then season two is just more of season one. And that's like if you like it, why not watch more of it? Um, last question. Uh, last thing I will say is uh, Hazuki is not scary whatsoever except for one thing. There's a lot of them in the show and it's a flower. I would just that say that. I would just say that. Nightmare fuel. Goddamn. When I first introduced when he first introduced it, that was like the first thing I talked to Jason about, other than the fact that oh, this is a good show. But what the fuck are those things? Yeah, so you'll know it when you see it. So, but uh, I I quite like the show as well. Seems Will you 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 like the show a I lot? I enjoy it. I enjoy it very much. Now moving on to from the workplace comedies, now going into workplace romances. We're talking about After the Rain. So After the Rain is based on the manga of the same name by June. Mayuzuki, sorry, who did the story and art. God damn it. I was like, I'm staring at it from a distance. Premiered in winter 2018 based on the manga. I think it is out. I forgot which um, manga printing publisher. But the raw score for the manga is a 7.79 and the mouse score is a 7.50 for the anime. Yeah. So I watched this about two, three weeks ago. You, You only just finished it recently. Right. But I read the whole manga from beginning to end like a while ago. Like, so you already knew what's up. I already knew what's up. So... Uh, it's a, it's an interesting take on the sort of workplace romantic slice of life in that, um, it's very much an age gap, it's an age gap story. Right. So an age gap romance where the main female character is, um, a teenage high school girl and the guy is um, the manager of the restaurant where they work. And he is like mid forties, mid forties, divorced, has a kid type thing. And it talks about kind of their romance but it's 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 when i say age gap romance you might think of things like koi kimo or higehiro and it might infer a lot of things it's and, a very questionable plot basis i understand that but it would be unfair to paint it with the same brush i think one of the first things i said was this is the most wholesome like respectable way to do age gap romance, if I could even say that. And yeah. I still think that belief is real today. Like with Koi Kimo, I don't know shit about that one, so you can talk more about it. But with Higa Hero, it's like trying to blend a mixture of that romance part and also the part about characters like baggage, emotional yeah. and physical baggage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas with After the Rain, yeah, there is like romantic beats, but it's more of a product that comes from, that stems from the the everlasting and overbearing effects of each individual character's emotional baggage and that's like very much the focus of after the rain these characters that we talk about are very much in really bad places not necessarily knowing what direction they want to take in life but being able to find comfort in each other's company to the point where it gets to the point where they start wondering is this really just comfort is this just like safety or are we actually starting to develop like romantic feelings for each other and that's where that sort of exploration of that age gap romance uh, becomes a little bit more wholesome than you know like risque and like nsfw you know right because the romance part is treated rather pure and innocent but at the backdrop of two flawed people trying to figure out what to do about their current situation and how to move on Right? There's, and, there's and, nothing like egregiously etchy about it at all. So like that, zero. So it's like that's one point above 
Hikihiro already. Even though Hikihiro is not a bad show. I don't think, yeah. I think Koi Kimo is a bad show, though. Yeah, the less talked about that, the better. Right. So, Will, I'm actually very curious to how you feel about the anime because I thought the manga was a 9 out of 10. I end up giving the anime an 8 out of 10. And I think the tone is relatively uh, the same but different at the same time. I think it just comes down to the fact that, okay, spoiler alert here. Give it like two seconds. The adaptation is not 100% faithful. Yes, There's a different ending to both the anime and the manga. And I think it's just because of the fact that there is a lot more story that is told in the manga. Characters are expressed differently. There's given Some characters are given more time to flesh out their backstory. Whereas with a 12-episode, with a, with a like a, a single-cur anime, especially when you're talking about romance, it's very hard to be able to tell a full story without cutting certain things, without rushing certain things. And it's very, very clear. The ending for After the Rain is very rushed but i think it was also done not just as a business decision but also just so that you can encapsulate encapsulate the whole series and push people to go and read the manga so the thing was that the anime ended before the manga ended so they had to what i can tell you is that having read and also watched the show the the ending is the spirit or message of both endings are very similar but the way that they went about it is different, and I think the manga was way more elegant. I also think that the ending, in either of these cases, is not what you may necessarily think it will end. And I think a lot of people had that issue that, oh, I thought it was going to go one way, but it ended up not being the other way. It ended up being the other way. And to me, that kind of bittersweet imperfection I thought was the whole point of the show. Yeah, I think like there were a lot of people that were kind of upset with how it ended. Uh, let me tell you this. If you read the ending for the manga, you'd be even more upset. Yes, I was more upset, right? For sure. So like you would, it, this is one of those things where it's like, I hate to say just to like, tell people to grow up, but like nothing is ever perfect. You can never expect like when things are supposed to go well, that they will go well. Sometimes shit happens and you don't get the ending that you want. And that's kind of the point of these endings, especially with After the Rain. You look at this, and yes, it is titled as an age gap romance, but you explore every side of the spectrum of romance. It's like just because some people have good relationships is not the same thing for everyone else. And it's the focus on the everything else that I think makes After the Rain a very good watch. Like I gave it an 8 out of 10 as well. I would very much recommend it. So last thing I will say about uh, the manga and the anime is that the anime is way more upbeat and cutesy and literally bubbly. Whereas in the manga, it was almost more silent and more, I mean, not, not because you can't hear a manga, obviously, but because it just felt more serious and more, I guess, melancholy is the more accurate term. So when I was watching the anime, I was quite surprised at how upbeat, especially the OP and ED is fantastic, by the way. It's a fun it's, it's a fun opening and ending, yeah. But it just is like not what I expected after the rain would be. But nonetheless, it's a if you need to if you if there was an age gap romance that I would say is very acceptable in terms of being crowd pleasing and good. And actually you can watch it in public. Yes, and actually having growth and development and not have it be basically a pseudo porn 
then yes, After the Rain is a very good watch. On to the next uh, ONA. Uh, we featured uh, one earlier, Girl, the, uh, Girl from the Other Side. Now we're going to go into Vampire in the Guard. Actually, no, no. Is Girl from the Other Side an ONA or an OVA? It's technically an OVA because they came out with Blu-rays. Right. Oh, and there was also stuff from before as well. So I guess, yeah, OVA would make more sense. Anyways, uh, we're going to go into one of the ONAs that Wood Studio has produced, Vampire in the Garden. Now, I'll just say it right now. I haven't watched a single episode of it, but you've watched all six episodes? Is Five. It? Five episodes. So, um, Vampire in the Garden is an anime original uh, exclusive on Netflix. As I said, there's five episodes, and it was released on May 16th, 2022, with a mouse score of 7.14. So, not necessarily a great score, but it's still an okay score. Do you feel that that's a, a fair reflection of Vampire in the Garden? Uh, well, uh, in this world... That is like kind of like Cold War Soviet Russia. So if you've ever played the video game Frostpunk, imagine that. Uh, or uh, the world in Fire Punch, but like in terms of like how cold and depressed everything is. Um, but in this world, Will, there are vampires and there are humans. And um, they don't get along. But it just so happens that a human girl and a vampire queen... Both are sick of the fact that the two sides are fighting and they decide to escape together to go to this supposedly uh, paradise where both races are able to coexist in peace and harmony, but things don't always go so well or as planned. I think Vampire in the Garden is basically the same issues I had with Bubble, except not as drastic in every sense of the word. It doesn't look as good as Bubble. It doesn't sound as good as Bubble, but it sounds pretty damn good with his orchestral track. Uh, it also is very, very gorgeous because uh, in this world, they, they kind of do this book-burning thing where they like burn all music and all sorts of entertainment because... In this world, like, the vampires can hear it, so then they'll be able to track you down. And they call, like, humans warms, like, warm bodies. So it's it's very heavy-handed. Uh, there's a, a very heavy Yuri undertone as well because it's the two, like, females. And they both imply very heavily that previously they both were, like, in some sort of relationship or friendship or more than friendship with other like uh, females and um overall it's a very generic show about war is bad don't hate war never ends war never ends like um you know you should learn to love one another i don't really know what else to say in five episodes you don't really can do much i think earlier you're like i think last episode or two episodes ago you're talking about kagurui twin and have that being six episodes but because it was six episodes and it was just six 25-minute episodes, I think in this case it was five, like 35 or 30-minute episodes. This is like slightly longer. It kind of is just like the plot in Vampire in the Garden is like super, super rushed. Like all of a sudden things just happen like like in succession and it shouldn't. It, there should be like more build up or you went from like 
traveling in a car to all of a sudden be in a hotel to all of a sudden in a submarine or whatever. And it's just like, where was everything in between? But, you know. But overall, it's it's a decent decent show at least, right? There's a lot of blood, a lot of action. uh, And I think... I gave it a seven at the end, and I still think it's a good show. It's a respectable score. It's a very respectable score, and it's not a it's not a bad show. It's not a bust, right? No. Yeah. Okay. On to the next one. Now, this is a show that Jason has talked about multiple times throughout uh, the history of GAP, but uh, it was only recently that I actually got round to watching all of Ancient Magus's. Bride. So as a reminder, it is based on a manga of the same name, published in English by Seven Seas Entertainment. Uh, the, um, I can't remember when it actually aired, but it was um, at least like, what, like five, six years ago? You can pull that up. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll pull that up. Yeah. Just, so just. manga score, very respectable, very, very respectable, uh, 8.36, and the uh, anime is an 8.07. So still a very good score. Now, after hearing Jason go on and on and on about Ancient Magus's Bride, it's not... Hard to tell that, you know, Jason really likes this show and the fact that we're also doing a wit studio analysis. I had to watch this. Um, I'd say that the story itself is very well written um, and uh, it's a very compelling tell, uh, compelling tale on that mystical fantasy uh, sort of atmosphere mixed in with a lot of supernatural shadiness. Uh, it essentially follows the, the character Chise Hattori who is a, a young high school girl from Japan uh, who is sold at an auction and bought by a mystery buyer and then transported to London to live out her life under the tutelage of this sculled man named Elias Ainsworth. Um, it is then told to her that uh, there is a, a certain path that she needs to take. And as she starts going further and found out, further and further down this road, more and more mysteries start to unfold. More about this new supernatural life that she leads start to come towards her and therefore like this is one of those things where you know as you start unfolding more of the mystery your actions then lead to consequences and this is a very much a show where you start seeing this this young girl who felt so uh unloved and so lonely in the beginning part of her life and slowly becoming a much more mature and self-aware young woman uh that's in the end you just start seeing this girl sort of go from a toothless very, very harmless woman, a harmless girl, into a very much feared, smart, and very diligent woman. Uh, it's it's a very it's a very well told story. And, and there's also romance between uh, the Beauty and the Beast, yeah, essentially. Very much so. Um, now you talk about like the plot, you talk about the delivery, the characters, the character designs, and the character stories are all really, really good. I like that part of the anime. Um, and it's also one of those where it's it's almost um, uh, oh shit what was that what was that series uh, with that sage who goes around clearing like um, mystical deities not Mononoke um, De- mystical deities you know how the, there's like little curses in different villages and that guy with the one eye goes around uh, clearing stuff you you know which one I'm talking shit. about shit it sounds really familiar go the one with the, the English opening. I walk ten thousand miles. Oh, 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 oh! Um, Mushishi. Yeah, Mushishi. It's very much in that kind of. Well, that took us that long yeah, to figure out that. Dude, oh I, my god! Yeah. So it's very much like told in that kind of aesthetic, where it's a very, very slow-paced anime series, and it takes maybe like two or three episodes to really go through like one 
character story, one arc. And that's kind of a good thing and a bad thing for me. The good in that they really do take their time to be able to fully flesh out individual stories, really build up certain characters, and give characters enough time and space to grow. On the other hand, however, because of how slow it is, and the fact you have to really focus on watching the series, it can be a tad bit boring. Every no, now no, no. And I, I, I very much understand that sentiment, right? Okay, so first of all, it is, uh, Will, just to answer your question about the anime, it is fall 2017, and uh, I guess it will be winter 2018 because it's two curves. Yeah, because it goes until March of 2018. Yeah, so two curves. Well, there you go. So like the criticism I have of it being slow and at times boring, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but it's definitely something to it's take a deliberate. Note of. It's a deliberate thing, yeah. though. Um, one thing I will say, though, about Ancient Magus Bride, because I'm also heavily biased, is... Ancient Magus' Bride. Ancient Magus Bride. What did I say? Magus. It's Magus's. Magus's, yeah. with the apostrophe. Yeah, because you well, don't write the S Because you don't write the S after the, there's an S preceding Confusing. it. Confusing. Confusing, yes. I know. Uh, English grammar, right? And punctuations. But it's also extremely violent and very bloody. And when I say it's violent Harry Potter, and that's how I describe it, it's, I think, a rather... It, it's, a, it's a reductivist um, kind of description, but it's a really fast description to give you an idea of what, to, what you're expecting. Because, for example, Chidori is what they call a sleigh beggy, which is in mythology, a real thing of a fairy who has a lot of magical powers and that factors in, like, how she is able to develop magical powers. And I think one of the things that I also really like about Ancient Magus' Bride, Magus's Bride, is the difference between wizardry and sorcery. Because there are people who have magical aptitude and then there are people that deal with the realm of magic but has to use tools or incan- incantations or like chants at their disposal yeah that's where they have like that very like very specific definition between what it is to be a mage and what it is to be a sorcerer yes and there is like different connotations for either or and different beliefs and priority systems also i think the beauty and the beast story while very typical is still done pretty well I think some of the stories told like okay um, the 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 story about the the spirit in the lake mm-hmm. that one was a fucking beautiful story as long as it took um you, you, oh, oh that's yeah. to clean the yeah clean yeah yeah the mm-hmm. cleansing the lake and that that was like an amazing story it took a very fucking long time but it was worth it in the end and again with the criticisms I have about it being a very slow and at times boring kind of series. Like, that's how it is with these kinds of shows where they want to slowly like like flesh out the story. If they rushed everything and just got everything done within like one or two episodes, I think that would be even worse. Because you don't want to rush something that is as beautiful as the story of Ancient Magus' Bride. I, I very much appreciate that they do take their time to flesh things out. It's just, in the end, there are going to be times where you're kind of head-scratching a bit. Like You miss something, but it's also like three episodes long. It's like, nah, do I need to go back and sort of rewatch that part to understand it? It it can be a little bit messy, but if you just like sit back, focus, enjoy the ride, I I think it's it's definitely a worthy show to recommend. So you I, gave I, it an eight? eight, eight out of ten. Yeah, that yeah. that that that's that's a very fair score. I gave it a nine, and I gave the manga a ten. Um, last thing though about Angel Magus's Bride, the Wit Studio branding is basically 
a wit studio anime, right? Like, I don't like if you had not seen a single like frame, you'll be like, oh yeah, wit studio would probably do it, right? Music is awesome. Whilst the animation quality is like, it's not like those kind of like crazy like action sequences. It's very beautifully animated. What like, do you think I, of like the backgrounds and like oh, the, it, the it, setting? Th- I mean, that that's also the part like that sort of like kind of niche trademark that wit studio has like. Very good backdrops. Mm-hmm. Very, very good scenic backdrops. Um, overall, very good show. I, I have no problem recommending it. All right. The next show that we will be talking about is probably a show that I have been putting off watching until now. For almost a year and a half, actually. Yeah. Or actually, even longer. Because... Um, well, the first season premiered in well, summer the manga, 2019. The manga. Yeah. I've heard a lot about the manga beforehand. But Vinland Saga is based on the manga of the same name by Makoto Yukimura, who did the story and the art published in English by Kodansha Comics. And it season one premiered in summer of 2019. And season, season two, two, January... About six months from now. Uh, ...has a mal- manga source score of 8.99, popularity 23, ranked number 10. And the season one anime is 8.73, ranked 44, popularity 95. The reason why I mentioned all those numbers is because this show is of the elite class. And it's it, it deserves to be in that. I, I mean, do you agree? Because I watched season one about a year ago, year and a half ago, and you, you got around to finishing season one just only a couple days ago. Yes. So it's okay. Just sort of like a little backstory. It's uh, Vikings doing Viking shit. Yes. You know, raging around, pillaging, uh, revenge stories, sort of going into sort of like conquering neighboring lands, but also defending your own lands because that's just, that was like the wild, wild north at the, at the time. Your identity, like how like people are brought up in that era as like, it's just a super violent time. And um, it, it, it was literally like kill or be killed. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it focuses on uh, Thorfinn, uh, who is the son of Thor or Thor's. I think it's Thor's. Thor's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, he has to grow the fuck up. Son of Helga, the, yeah. the, the mother of Helga. Yeah. He has to Mother's grow Helga. the fuck up because, yep. uh, you know, people going to take over your shit and you have to go take over their shit. Otherwise, you will die. And if you die, the rest of your family dies because you're the strongest person in your village. If you die, nobody else survives. And that's pretty much like the premise of Villain Saga. It's a very simple premise, but it's very, very well executed. It's one of those shows where I would describe it as a chronicle. I think if you describe it as a chronicle, it's a very accurate term to use because it chronicles Torfinn's journey, not only starting from his village, but basically going all over the place, learning things, Killing things, almost getting killed, all the th- all the trials and tribulations of just harsh life at that time. I mean, like he is like the poster child of like that of, of the first volume of the manga where he's holding the dual daggers. And when you watch the first episode, he's nothing like that at all. I know that the manga has a different sort of like it, it's 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 uh, compiled differently in terms of how the the sequence of the manga is written in and how the anime is represented, um, but. I don't think it's it, it 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 doesn't cut a lot of stuff out. It just changes certain things around. So the story is still very much fine and very bloody and very violent. Yeah. So it starts off as a meek young little boy who then realizes the world is a really fucked up place, even though he already knew the world's a fucked up place. It's just that he has to, to see it and yeah. to experience it. Yeah. And damn, as much as it is like bloody and violent, that's not even the part that gets me. It's the fact that like 
when you see people who have literally lost everything and they have nothing else to lose, then that's when you see someone really go out of their way to destroy whatever's in front of them. It's it, it literally when you when you fight with reckless abandon and you actually have nothing to abandon, then that's that's nothing, the scariest. You have nothing scariest left part. to lose, right? Yeah, that is like the scariest part of watching this upbringing of this young, very very innocent, but then quickly turned violent kid. Um, it's it's a wonderful story. I am very excited to watch season two, which hopefully will be done well by Mappa. I I am very excited for season two as well. Um, I gave season one a nine out of ten. Now, well, first of all, Will, what did you give it? I gave it a nine. Okay, I think, uh, it was very close to being a ten, but I think it's just sometimes like, like because I know that there's more of the story to tell, and it only just told the beginning of the whole manga story. I need to reserve like that part of judgment for subsequent seasons. Because if I started off with a ten, then the, the only way is just to keep it consistent or down. So might as well give it a nine first. But it is a very, 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 very strong recommend for me. Now, well, I need to tell you my problems with Finland Saga. Go and some of them are in my opinion, like the fact that I gave it a nine just tells you how much I really like Finland Saga. The first thing is Torfin is a really fucking boring character. Ooh, 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 as especially after the second half onwards his involvement becomes less and less important in my mind and less and less interesting the very beginning when you sort of see his journey and develop into i guess his adolescence right character development literally that was very compelling very interesting but after a certain point to me i was way more interested in what everyone else was up to and not what Thorfinn was up to in defense of Thorfinn i think in a way, you would basically what you're saying he's very one dimensional, right? But I think it's because of the fact that he has a very singular motivation, and that's you know I'm not going to spoil it, but you know what that motivation is. I know, is. yes. And therefore, that's going to be the overriding continuation from the beginning of the story all the way to whenever the fuck Finland Saga ends. Um, so I can see why you feel that you know trying to get more involved in Thorfinn's story is kind of just tiring now because he's just doing the same thing over and over and over again. But it's because of the fact that that's what his character is. Um, not saying that, you know, it excuses him. I understand, of course, that, you know, if you keep watching a character just repeating the same thing over and over because that's what their motivation is, it can get dry. I think it's just because I'm, like, so, like, invested in his upbringing, invested in his story, that I'm okay with it. That, like, if he just continues to rinse and repeat and just do the same shit over and over... I think that's that's the point of his existence. It's a sad existence, a very sad existence. But I can see your 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 point in terms of what else does this character have to offer. Right. I mean, maybe uh, season two will alleviate that problem that I have. The second problem that I have, it's not necessarily a problem, but it was... It's an observation. Uh, there is a character who, after a certain incident happens, basically does the biggest 180 turn from a pussy to a badass in like two seconds. I'm trying to remember which one because there's a lot of things that happen and also watch that person has long hair. Okay. I think I know who you're talking about then. Ah, yes, I know who you're talking about. Yep. So this person progresses and then in has a certain incident happen and then this person's outlook, attitude, priorities completely changes and does a 180. First of all, I would need to, I'd like to say when he, when this person like changes, 
the changes are fucking awesome. The character is badass as fuck. But all of a sudden, it went from zero to 100 to me very quickly. And the let's say the adjustment period. Is it is it this character? Yes, it yeah. is that character. I think that character is really good. But that that it's like that he just that, snapped. That change kind of caught you off guard. That change caught me off. No, I knew it was going to happen. But it was such a drastic change. It was like two completely different people. And I thought it was really hard. Like hard to could be convinced in the like for that period of time that like how did you go from here to here? But then at that point I was just like you just keep doing badass stuff it's fine yeah. I'll, I'll deal with it. Well, speaking of badass stuff, that first sequence in the first episode, bro, my dude, holy fuck, right? Ah, uh, gorgeous. Admittedly, some of the fight sequences that happen afterwards are, did, I mean, yeah. some of the 3D was okay. Granted, you want to spend money where. It counts. So when it's just people marching or just really random stupid shit, you having 3D is fine, honestly. Like, I understand. But when everything else looks super good looking, the 3D looks extra obvious to me. Yeah. Like, you you, you definitely, like, once you have everything as, like, a, 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 the shining gold standard, you notice the kinks. You what? notice the parts where it's just like, hey, like, I know where you slacked off. Like, 80% of Vinland Saga spoiled my expectations of like that five percent and then the other ten percent is just like oh yeah i should rewind and watch that again because that was dope but look it's a really good show i'm excited for season two and um yeah i'm glad you finally got around to to actually finishing it now yeah i i I really enjoyed the living crap out of it oh a special shout out to i think episode 14 that involves a certain girl hiding something in a tree yes and that episode was I was on the MTR on the subway. I uh, paused and had to like look out the window and just listen to music, lo-fi music for the rest of the the, the train ride. Because, oh boy, food is important in the uh, Vinland Saga. If oh. you remember that one specific episode where um, food is uh, scarce and food is provided, but then uh, it comes at a very very serious cost. Yeah, it's not a happy show, but it's a damn good show, and it's very real. Oh yeah, no, it does not hold anything back. It's I mean like we we've we've seen enough really like dark and dystopian shows. This is one of those where it's like it's dark dystopian and it's real as fuck. Like you would not expect this to be any different from like a live adaptation or even one of those history channel retellings of the lives of Vikings. All right. We are going to end our entire Wit Studio catalog on probably the highest ranked the gold medalist the king of all of Wit Studios' catalog, Ranking of Kings. What a great introduction to that. It is based on the manga of the same name by Suzuki Toka, who did the story and the art. There's two curves of it for fall 2021 and winter 2022, with a mal rating of 8.60, rank 76, popularity 414. I did not I did not list the, the mal score for the manga, but it's an 8.00, but I think the I think I re- remember reading it. There was like the translation in English had like an issue, so then they had to recall it or something. But that and also like when the when 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 this when the series was about to debut, the anime was the, the debut. Uh, I looked up the anime, the manga score for it. There was no. It's manga not score. available, right? And it was because this is another one of those wit trademarks. 
It's a very obscure show. Where the fuck did this come from, right? I, do you remember we saw the tr- the poster for it, and then you and I were just like, "What is this? What the hell is Wit doing?" And then we should have actually realized with the, with, with with hindsight, this is exactly what Wit would do. Exactly right. So, Wit uh, Ranking of Kings follows a sort of like coming of age story or you could say uh one of the gap finale winners for best boy slash husbando boji boji is the fucking king um i mean of course i mean the series is called ranking of kings so it is um i mean we don't really need to go that much in the story because we talked the shit about it but we are actually going to do more of a mention of ranking of kings because whilst jason has been putting it off for a little bit of while not not like he deliberately put it off. It's just the fact that there's a lot of other shit he needed to watch. Therefore, unfortunately, Ranking Kings was a casualty in that. But because now we're doing a wit analysis, now's a good time for him to, you know, share his two cents about Ranking of Kings. I watched 14 episodes of the 23. And uh, I even watched it minutes before I shown up to record. That's how much I actually wanted to finish it. Very, um, very fresh in your mind, right? In terms extremely of what's happened. fresh. First thing that anyone would notice just by looking at ranking of kings is the aesthetics and it is something that will initially make will definitely throw you off i'll just say that it's definitely very lush and pastel and disney like in a way like disney like western cartoony kind Mm -hmm. of vibe Mm -hmm. um but at the same time when it juxtapose it with violence and blood oh, and is, they yeah. do not hide away from it's gory it's pretty gory not like extreme no. like oh like cover your eyes gore but like you would not expect that level of violence in a show that looks like ranking of kings mm-hmm. and i just want to say special shout out to um ranking of kings getting the japanese federation of the deaf, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. To get use of sign language, because Boji is someone who is mute and um, communicates using uh, d- Japanese sign language. Deaf and mute, I think, yeah. right? As the two disabilities that he has. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like the show, but the past, like, I would say, of 14 episodes, the last, like, five episodes, I love the show. But. Still don't really know what's happening, right? I don't think I know what the fuck's going on. I know more than I did in the beginning. But more of nothing is like, mm, this, this doesn't help Technically, me at all. Technically, the name of the anime, Ranking of Kings, only shows up literally once or twice, and then never again yet, at least where I'm at. Um, but the thing that I really like about it is also people dealing with trauma and people dealing with disadvantages and disabilities with for example boji being um deaf deaf and and mute but others also just being like you're short you're fat or like you're missing limbs or you just are like you don't have enough power to be able to ascend ranks and therefore you're always an underling right or you aren't you you're not willing to fight head on so are you like a warrior or are you like are you a, a wolf, coward are you a wolf or a sheep right right and i think the best lesson that i learned from ranking of kings takes place where uh boji's brother goes into town to sort of like chill out i think with like his guards and the his teacher who's with him his trainer i guess is the technical term 
notices a blind guy, and he says, like, what do you think of that blind guy? And the prince was like, oh, if I was blind, I would just kill myself because that I don't want to live like that. I, that kind of disability, I don't want to live that every second of my living life. Yeah, having such a big disadvantage is... In, a, in essence, to his mind, a weakness. Right. And you should never show weakness, especially him being the prince of the kingdom, right? But then the teacher flips it up on him, and he's like, but because he's deaf, he has to figure... Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, because blind. he's blind, he has to figure out how to communicate with other people. And through his, quote-unquote, disability or disadvantage, he has learned humility, empathy. And not only that, but... In a way, he is willing to not give up. He's willing to work for it extra hard because he does not have the normal advantage. Like, let's not talk about actual advantage. Just being normal, quote-unquote. And that is the best summation of what I've learned from Ranking of Kings. And also just having your expectations of certain characters. You think like, oh... This person is just a bad person. And actually, there's no bad person. There's just the way things are. I mean, there are, there are like people that are more, like more evil than others. But sometimes also, sometimes you just want to be a good mom. Yeah. Speaking of characters, right? Queen Hilling. What a milf. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. That's not what I was going to... Best mom. Best, Best mom. Uh, I was ready like in the first like episode two or three to be like, Oh, she's like this archetype. Oh, it's going to be like, oh, fine, whatever. And I was pleasantly surprised by how things turned out already at episode 14. And it's just, uh, I teared up at one point. Yeah. Pretty good. So you got into the second cur, which means that they are now doing the second opening. Very good opening. It's, Very good ending as well. so good. Actually, you know what? I would say of the f- two openings and the two endings... ED1 is the weakest. Yeah. I would say OP2, OP1, ED2, ED1. Well, I, I really liked ED2. I like ED2 as a lot, but like... Well, OP1 just, is just like... Oh, it's just really happy, yeah. right? And especially when you it's, mention... It's much in the same way where it's like when you're watching the, op- the opening for Hazuki, you kind of just want to just oh. get up and march, right? It's the same way when you're watching OP1. Props. Ranking. Vinland Saga has like the most like pump... like adrenaline pumping OPs ever. So, Wit Studio has a really good track record of just really good openings and endings in general. Well, actually, yeah, After the Rain has really good music too. Yeah. yeah. It was like very bubbly and very nice. Spikes of family. The end does not have good music. But, oh, I mean, just, I, I'm, I'm just bitter about it. What about Cabinary is really good. Oh, Cabinary is fucking good too. About yeah. Attack on Titan and Link Horizon is really good. I will say though that, um, ah, shit, what's the, what, what's the, um, the, the opening that was done in, um, Part two, the final for Attack on Titan, the one that hit the U.S. Billboard. Oh, Sim, the yeah. rumbling. Yeah. Oh my God, that's a fucking fire track. Or you could be like Vampire in the Garden, in which there is no OP and no ED. So it's just straight thirty minutes. Yes. Oh wow. There's like no opening credits. Uh, there is ending credits, but like it's just credits that's laid over like the the ending sequence of whatever episode, right? Yeah, it's weird in that. But hey, look. Oh. The studio can be weird. Okay. So finally got around to Vinland Saga and Ranking of Kings. Worth it? Oh yeah, hell yeah. I knew I knew it was gonna be worth it. It's just time, right? And also other stuff you need to prioritize. 
So I'm glad that you managed to get around to at least not just finishing Villain Saga, but also watching a lot of Ranking of Kings. I'm definitely going to finish Ranking of Kings. Like, there's just I, no shadow of a doubt in my mind. And I assure you that the score it has right now on my anime list of an 8.60 very much deserves. So here's the issue. Do you think there'll ever be a season two? It's hard. I mean, I, I don't know what the direction that the manga is going because I have not even gone because there was no English yeah, no, there lessons isn't. for it, right? So, no, well, it got recalled, but yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, if it does get a second season, cool. But I think it's also like if it just ended the way it is now, I would still be like incredibly happy with what I've watched. So, yeah. Um, let's just wrap this thing quickly in terms of, let's say, because we talked about like a lot of shows, nine, 10 series yeah, exactly. in depth, right? If you were to say like, Three like solid recommends, right? One of them being Ancient Magus's Bride, because I know. Yeah. What would be your other two? I would say Vinland Saga, and I would say Hazuki's Cool Headedness. Ooh, good pick. Because they, all three of them, offer different facets of what makes Wit Studio Wit Studio, and what makes me really love Wit Studio. Yeah, I think like. It, it's always going to be easy to recommend VV. It's always going to right. be easy to yeah. recommend Cabinieri for Oh, me. hey, watch Spike's Family. That's my recommend. That's that, that's just useless. I would throw in After the Rain. I think it's... I think, uh, yeah. I, I think I was really surprised at, like, at least before recording, like, throughout the week or whatever, you were kind of implying to me that, like, you were really digging After the Rain. And I was surprised. Because it's very real. It's, like, one of those things where, like, you always expect a fairy tale ending for stuff. And not to say that this does or does not have it. I don't want to spoil anything. But you just watch it and you're like, yeah, no, this is how shit happens. This is how shit goes. And, like, you just got to be ready to accept it. Because no matter what you do to it, the ending's not going to change. The story dynamic's not going to change. The characters are always going to be the same. So you just roll with it and just hopefully it's your thing. It was my thing. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, it was my thing as well. Um, So... That is the end of our Wit Studio analysis and the end of episode 41 of the Good Anime Palette podcast. You can always reach us through our email, gapalette at gmail.com. That's G-A-P-A-L-E-T-T-E at gmail.com. All lowercase, all one word. On Twitter, using the handle at palettegood. That's capital P and capital G, all one word. Or through our GAP Discord server using the invite link that is provided in the show description. We also have a website, www.goodanimepalette.com, all lowercase, all one word. You should go and check it out. Music credits for this episode. Our intro music is Ninth Power by Henyo. Our break music is Salamanca by Sarah the Instrumentalist. And our outro music is Golden Rules by Luax. You can support the music artists we feature by listening to them on Spotify, Apple Music, or other various music listening platforms. And our royalty-free music was provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're interested in using Epidemic Sound, you can sign up using our referral link in the show description to get 10% off on your first 12 months and the first 30 days of your subscription for free. Terms and conditions apply. So you know how like uh, in the first half we talked about like what the future outlook for what Studio is, right? Do you think that there's ever a chance that what Studio would do a sports anime? Because they could go for some rather obscure ones, right? Like Gaelic football, Quidditch. Ooh. Well, obviously it's copyrighted, right? But like, like some sort of like, like fictional mythical sport, right? It has to be maybe jousting, tap dancing. Actually, jousting, like traditional jousting, I think that might be. I can, I can, I can see that. Yeah, um, I could. You could even see them doing something like synchronized swimming. 
So, okay, let's end let's end this episode on if you are in the boardroom, the Wit Studio boardroom and they're like whatever you say, Will, we will do. We trust you. I would probably push for a synchronized swimming one because it would at least also involve like that sort of like fluid animation aspect that they have, but also incorporate the use of music too. So, it's not as straightforward as like a ballet or like dance or we can say tap dancing too. They could do that. They can do that one as well. But I think like synchronized swimming because it would be a kind of like their their kind of style where it's one of the more obscure ones. You don't really see a lot of shows about or any shows really about synchronized swimming. But it does include good music, good choreography, and I feel that Wit does both things really really well. You're ready for my answer. Go for it. So you have several routes, but they all stem from the same genre. Either a noir. Or a mystery, a murder mystery at that. Something like Clue, like the board game Clue. That would be like, I can see how, like, for example, you're in this mansion and it looks ancient, but it has all this, like, like furniture that looks exotic and exquisite. Then you have, like, the brutality of the murder mystery and everything and dialogue and just the heavy tone and seriousness and the artsy style. I just thought like that is what I would want with Studio to make. I could see that. I I mean, look, I think uh, if there's ever like a new series that comes out that is produced by Wit Studio, like much in the way that we were very much like pleasantly shocked at how good Ranking of Kings is, I would be ready to take on whatever else Wit Studio comes out with. We reported earlier about Law Studios being in the red and a lot of studios have to either reconsolidate or so on and so forth. But for me, there are certain studios. I would say MAPPA is not even in that category. I would say like Studio Trigger, Kyoto Animation, and Wit, where like their name automatically implies the type of, I guess, atmosphere or vibe that it goes for. Because MAPPA does everything in many ways. So it's kind of hard to sort of fix what MAPPA... It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means like their identity is more malleable. And look, within like the short 10-year history that Wit has, it's made a huge impact within the anime industry. So I am very happy to continue watching anything that's done by Wit Studio. I'm very much looking forward to the new ONAs that they come up with. And uh, it's only a matter of time before there's an announcement of whatever else that Wit Studio, Wit Studio is doing that's not Spy X related. So, like Brothers Grimm, I'm excited. I think that's a perfect choice for them. So Yeah. Um, so yeah, but, I mean, if you guys you know want to tweet us or want to you know drop us a message, what do you guys want to see from Wit Studio? Do you want to see them do sports? Do you want to do some like do some more sort of like film noir crime mystery kind of shows? Yeah. Or hey, if you want us to do a studio analysis for another animation studio, just give us a shout and uh, we will see how, what we can do. Just don't make it Sunrise because I don't want to watch so much goddamn Gundam. Don't even. make it Studio Dean, please. Well, I mean, it's, we just watch Higurashi. Or Piero. Right? Piero. Piero wouldn't be bad. Well, wouldn't be good either. JC staff would be okay because you have a lot to choose oh, there's from. Oh, there's some good JC staff stuff. Yeah, you do. Okay. Yep. So I think that's it. Um, Will, any any last things? Please, 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 please. If you haven't watched it yet, please watch VV. Please watch Capaneri. And absolutely, please watch Ranking of Kings. No, you should watch Bubble Man. Okay. Just to sign up. <laughs> Bubble isn't bad, but holy hell, I, the expectations that we had going into the movie and then the disappointment coming out when we logged off 
Netflix was just this was sad. Like I didn't feel emotionally connected to the to the movie when the music stopped. But when the music came back on, holy fuck, I was ready to just be like, yeah, dude, let's just watch some more of this bubble animation shit. Um, yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's not bad, it's not good. But if you just want to enjoy the music, especially if you have like a movie theater esque sound system, fucking do it. You know, just just do it. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs>